text is uh, verses 22 through 34. Luke 12, 22 through 34. Hear God's word. And he, that is Jesus, said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is... There will your heart be also. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage of your word in the Bible. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you inspired these words. And we pray now that you will come and illumine our hearts and minds. Give us understanding, Lord, of this passage. Help us to dig down deep into what it really means. And then, Lord, having read and understood it, we pray that you'll give us the grace to apply it and to live a different kind of life because of what you say here. And most of all, we pray that we will see Jesus in this passage. And we pray this in His name. Amen. Please be seated. I do uh, greet you again, and it's so good to be back with you here at Christ the King. Um, I am going to be a little bit antisocial after the service, though. I have to be back in Orlando at uh, roughly 1.15, 1.30. So, and I don't want to break every law in the book driving back. So if it looks like I'm scooting out real fast, that's why. It's not anything personal. But uh, I think I am coming back in November, and then I will be able to take a little bit longer and visit with people. But today is going to be a little more, little little cut short. But uh, thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure to be here. And so we're looking today at Luke chapter 12, these, pat, these verses, some of which are so very familiar. We've heard them many, many times. And I would say about this passage that I read that there could hardly be a passage of the Bible more out of step with our culture. I mean, some people would listen to these words and say that Jesus is asking for the impossible here. When he says not to be afraid, some people might even say that he's asking us to live foolishly. 
when he says, don't be anxious. Because really, when we can think of hundreds of reasons to be anxious and afraid in the world in which we live now, Jesus still says, do not be afraid and do not be anxious. So we're going to talk about anxiety today. I'm sure that's something nobody struggles with, but we're still going to talk about it. And we're going to tie anxiety into some, something that's so very important for Christians to be, and that is to be generous. So how does anxiety go along with generosity? We're going to learn that from this passage of Scripture. Now, before we dive into the subject of anxiety, I think it's important that I say that there are different kinds of anxiety. In some situations that we face, anxiety is perfectly normal. In fact, we might even say that certain kinds of anxiety are good. Um, But certainly, they are to be expected, right? A couple of weeks ago, I did a wedding And uh, I was standing next to the groom-to-be just moments before the wedding was to start. And this man was anxious. And nobody blames him for being anxious. That's perfectly normal. It's to be expected. He comes into this ceremony with the idea that he is about to make a lifelong commitment that's going to change radically everything about his life. Of course he's going to be anxious. So that kind of anxiety that we all face from time to time is not what Jesus is talking about here. Um, I remember when I was a brand new Christian back in, this was back in the mid-1970s, and I was a senior in college, and the Bible was just like something I'd never read before. You know, every page was wonderful, and I was just eating it up. And I came across this very passage, and I took verse 22 literally. Uh, And of course, at that time, I had a King James Version. That's about all we had back in the mid-70s, right? And so I read that verse in the King James Version. It says, take no thought for your life. And I figured, okay, I'm going to take that literally. I'm not going to take any thought for my life. Uh, I went to my dad and I said, "Uh, Dad, I'd like to drop out of college. I'm going to trust God. Um, my wife and I, we're going to, my girlfriend at the time, we're going to get married and we're going to trust the Lord. And I even pointed my dad out, verse 24, which talks about these ravens. I said, God provides for the ravens, he's going to provide for us. And my dad in all of his patience and wisdom said, but Mike, I've seen a lot of dead ravens by the side of the road. <laughs> and he said, I, I think you should, I think you'd be wise to Go ahead and finish college, get your diploma, get a job. You know, he, he was so long-suffering with me in that moment, and I really, really appreciated his wisdom. Because, you know, as I've grown in the Christian life, I understand that there are different ways of balancing portions of Scripture like we've just read. There are many places in the Bible that teach the value of hard work, Right? Uh, In the Bible, it does not say that riches themselves are evil. In fact, there are a lot of rich, wealthy people in the family of God, and most of them got there by studying hard, finishing college, working hard in a job, disciplining themselves in their use of money. And we're very grateful for those people too. So don't make the mistake I made. Don't read this passage about anxiety the way that I did at that time. Jesus is not telling us here 
to be lazy or to be unconcerned about our life or to be careless in the way that we take care of ourselves and of our family. That, we know, is not the kind of teaching that he would give us. So what is he teaching us here about anxiety? Well, in order to get to the bottom of that, I think what we need to do is open ourselves to the whole chapter. I wish we had time to go all the way back to verse 1 and work our way slowly up to verse 22. We can't do that, but I do want to give you a little overview of what has preceded this passage of Scripture that I read. If you do look back at verse 1, you find out that Jesus is surrounded by an enormous crowd of people. It says many thousands of people. Can you imagine that? Here is Jesus a year or two perhaps into His ministry and He's so popular that thousands of people are following Him wherever He goes. In fact, it says that they were trampling one another. So imagine this enormous crowd pressing in together upon Jesus to sort of hang on every word that He says. And then skipping on down to verse 13... Here you have this this crowd, and it says that a man steps forward. A man steps out of the crowd and says to Jesus, Hey, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, those of you with children, does that sound familiar? Were you ever standing around in your house one day when your son came to you and said, Hey, Dad, tell Joey he's not being fair. He got more frosted flakes than I did. You know, or something like that. I mean, kids fight over this kind of thing all the time. Mom, tell Sarah she has to share her Legos with me. And like a good parent, what Jesus says in response in verse 14 is, go work that out between yourselves. I didn't come to settle arguments between selfish brothers. In fact, he says, who made me a judge over you? But... Even though Jesus dismisses that man, He uses that conversation to address a problem that is universal in its scope. And that problem is the problem of the sin of covetousness. He says in verse 15, and He's looking at everybody in the crowd right now, be on your guard against the sin of all covetousness. For, he says, life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. And then Jesus proceeds to tell a story. You know, Jesus told a lot of wonderful stories. And here's one of them. It's in verses 16 through 21. It's about a rich man. A rich man who had more than he could possibly ever need or use. His barns were bursting at the seams with produce. But this rich man says in this story... Well, what shall I do? I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger and better barns. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll say to myself, Myself, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Eat, drink, and be merry. But in the story, God speaks to this rich man, it's in verse 20, and says, You fool, you're going to die tonight. And what good will all of your stuff do you then? So that's the end of the story. And then Jesus looks around and wraps that story up in verse 21 with these words. So is the one, just like that rich man, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now that is the context of our our passage today. 
That's the setting. And Jesus, it says in verse 22, turns from the crowd. Now, I don't know quite how he did that since they're trampling one another, but he turns his focus to his disciples. Just as right now in the Word, God is turning his focus to you and to me, his followers. And Jesus says, therefore... Do not be anxious about your life. Now do you understand what he's talking about when he mentions anxiety? It is the anxiety of that rich fool and of that man who came to want the inheritance. That's the kind of anxiety that Jesus is talking about. He is talking about idolizing our material possessions, trusting in our stuff rather than in God to the point that We selfishly and obsessively worry about the future where all we can think about, you know, is buying and shopping and accumulating goods and storing up things in our closets and worrying about the economy. And and I know that right now with things so uncertain in our country, this is so relevant, isn't it? We worry about all of the what ifs. What if, what, what's going to happen? What's, what about my 401k? What about my retirement? What about my health? What about my house? What about politics? What about the next presidential election? I mean, on and on and on can go the list of the things that we are anxious and worried about, just like Jesus is talking about. See, this kind of anxiety that we're learning about today is what makes people self-centered rather than others-centered or God-centered. And Jesus says, don't be anxious like that. You know, this kind of anxiety turns our motto from, we're going to glorify and enjoy God forever, to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Just like the rich fool. It makes us selfish instead of generous, more focused on our kingdom than God's kingdom. And Jesus says in this passage that followers of Jesus Christ should not and need not live that way. Anxiety, you see, is the enemy of generosity. The question is, how do we fight that enemy? How do we rebel against this spirit of anxiety that so characterizes our culture? You know what? I think the answer is in verse 32 of our text. And here's where we're going to stay the rest of our time for the most part. The answer is in verse 32 that says, Fear not, see there's the fear, Fear not, little flock, for it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, I really believe, after having studied that verse and the a whole context here, that there are two truths in that one verse that if we could believe them and live according to those two truths, it would empower us out of anxiety and into radical generosity. And that's how God wants us to live, isn't it? Not being fearful and anxious, but generous and free. So let's look at these two truths. I'll tell you what they are and then we're going to break it down. The two truths that I see in verse 32 are, number one, you have a loving father who will take care of you. And number two, you have a reigning king who has given you the kingdom. All right, let's dive in. 
first truth that will free you from anxiety and empower you into generosity is that you have a loving Father who will take care of you. That is very clear in verse 32 because Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But it's also clear throughout this passage. Let's go all the way up to the top, verse 22, where we began. Verse 22 says, Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. What's Jesus saying there? I think he's saying that material things do not and will never satisfy. Life is more than the stuff you own. You you, you can have everything in the world and it will never give you real life. And then he says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They neither have storehouse nor barn. And yet God feeds them. Now, if you were to compare this with Matthew's account of this same teaching, in Matthew 6, Jesus doesn't say God feeds them. He says your heavenly Father feeds them. And so what we're talking about in this passage is God's fatherhood toward His children. Now, ravens. One thing you need to know about ravens is that they were unclean animals to the Jew. They were unfit to bring God in worship or to eat. And yet it says, God cares for them. Now, do you understand that what God is saying here is that if God cares for unclean animals... How much more sure is it that God's going to take care of you because you're His child? See, this is an argument from the lesser to the greater. Uh, Here's an illustration of that kind of argument. Let's say that uh, I have one of my grandchildren visiting me, okay? We have nine grandchildren. One of my grandchildren is visiting me and he's outside in the front yard playing with one of my neighbor's children. And it's a hot day, they're both thirsty. And so the neighbor kid comes over to me and says... Hey, Mr. Mike, could I have one of those Capri Suns in your refrigerator? And I say, well, of course, neighbor child, I'll give you a Capri Sun. If I'm going to give a neighbor kid a Capri Sun to drink in a hot day, how much more likely is it that I'm going to give who? My grandchild a Capri Sun, right? That's an argument from the lesser to the greater. And Jesus is saying that that's the way it is with God's generosity toward us. If He's going to take care of unclean birds, your Father is so loving toward you that He's going to take care of you too. I mean, that's just sort of, duh. Anybody can figure that out. And then in verse 29, Jesus goes on to say, Don't seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. Now, literally, in the Greek language in which this was written, it's it's stronger than that. What Jesus is really saying in verse 29 is stop seeking what you are to eat and drink. It's a strong imperative. And the word seek doesn't just mean look. It means search and search and search. It means to set your heart on something. It means to become obsessively preoccupied with something. In some contexts, the word could even mean worship. So Jesus says, don't search and search and search after your material possessions. Don't seek your security there. And the word for worry, this is so interesting Uh, Let's take a little side route here. The word for worry is the Greek word meteorizomai. Meteorizomai. It's the only place in the whole Bible that word appears. 
Do you hear the word meteor in there? Meteor? One of those things that comes through the air, through the atmosphere. Meteorizomai. And the word meteorizomai means to suspend or to fluctuate. So imagine a meteor being suspended in the atmosphere, uh, vibrating, fluctuating, uh, living in a, in a vacillating kind of way. That's the word meteorizomai. So what Jesus is saying is stop being preoccupied with material things. Stop living in suspense about tomorrow. Stop vacillating between fear and hope. F- fear and hope back and forth. Stop living in suspense about your clothes, about your food, about your car and what you have and what you look like and how big your house is and all of that stuff. Why? Because Jesus says all the nations of the world seek after those things. And your Father, what? Knows that you need them. Why would a child live in suspense about tomorrow when his or her father is completely in control of every single situation and will provide that little child everything that he or she needs. You wouldn't vacillate between fear and hope. You wouldn't live in suspense all tied up in knots about the future and about what's going to happen because worry, that kind of worry is what the world does. Living in fear and anxiety is what characterizes the world, not you. You're a child of God. You are not of the world, but you are of God if you're a believer in Jesus. The pagan world may seek after material gain all the time, but you're above that. Don't stoop to their level. You're you're supposed to live up here because you're a child of the king. Like Zach said earlier in his prayer, he said something to the effect that we have right and title to the royal Uh, uh, estate of our king. That's who you are because you're in Christ. You are, Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. So live that way. Live on that level. Now look, let's pause here and just say something that I think is really, really true and, and it would be dishonest not to admit this. When we read a passage of Scripture that talks about how loving our Father is and how much He takes care of us and how He protects us and how He provides for us, there's always someone in the congregation who is suffering. And I suspect that if we went through the rows this morning, many of you would say, I'm in a hard place right now. This is a hard time for me. So how do we reconcile that with what we're learning from Luke chapter 12? Well, I think what we have to say is that we don't understand why God allows some of the things that He does into our lives, why He ordains suffering and pain. The fact of the matter is He does. Every believer goes through times of suffering, sometimes very intense suffering. And so sometimes we cry out to God and we lament and we say, but God, you're my Father. I don't understand why you're doing this. And that's only being honest. I don't understand it, but I do know this that God never will forsake one of His children, that He will walk with you through that valley of suffering. And He is doing something that you may not understand now, but you will eventually. And that is that He must know something that you and I don't know. We say, I want this, 
And God says, sorry, I know that you need that. Every parent does this with his child, right? We say, I want this. God says, no, I know that you need that. Isn't that exactly what the Apostle Paul found out when he kept saying, God, I don't want this thorn in my flesh. Take it away from me, God. And God said, Paul, I know something you don't know. I'm doing something bigger in your life than just simply what you want. I'm giving you what you need. It's shaping you. It's making you better. It's shaping your character. And that's what you need, Paul, not what you want. And so if you're in a hard place this morning, I want to assure you that you do have a father who loves you dearly. But it very well could be that he knows you need something that you don't know. So be patient, hang on, trust him, and overcome that fearful anxiety by trusting that you have a father who loves you and will take care of you. That's truth number one. Let's go to truth number two. The other truth that verse 32 teaches is that you not only have a loving father, but you've got a reigning king in your life. A reigning king who has given you the kingdom. Look again at verse 32 where Jesus says, Fear not, little flock. Isn't that a tender way to address us? God is looking at you this morning. If you're His child, He's saying, Fear not, little flock. You're just like a little sheep in my flock. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Hmm, kingdom, what does that mean? This is a very important idea. So important that you named your church Christ the King, (laughs) Presbyterian Church. Do you know the kingdom, what it means? Well, the kingdom of God was the main theme of Jesus' ministry. He talked about the kingdom of God all the time. John the Baptist talked about it too before Jesus' ministry started. Do you know that one of the first things John the Baptist said was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? The kingdom of God? Jesus said one of the first things He said that came out of His mouth was the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In Matthew 4, it says that Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And later on in Luke 8, it says that Jesus went through the cities and villages of that area proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And He told His disciples to proclaim the kingdom of God and go around healing the sick. And so... The kingdom of God seems to be the entirety of Jesus' message and ministry. If you really go through the Gospels, you see it coming up again and again and again. And here it is in our text. He's talking about the kingdom. He says in verse 31, Seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. And right here in verse 32, It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now let's think about this because it's kind of ironic, isn't it, that the kingdom of God is something that's already been inaugurated. Inaugurated, that's something that's a hot topic right now, right? We're all looking toward the next inauguration of our American president. Well, when Jesus Christ came to the earth, He inaugurated something. He inaugurated the kingdom of God. So it's already here. It's already present and we already have it. 
But at the same time, it's something that we're supposed to seek. Because Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God. We need to grow in our experience of it, in other words, day after day until Jesus returns. So it behooves us to ask, what does it mean? What is the kingdom of God? When you hear the word kingdom, what do you normally think about real quick? It's usually considered a place, right? A country, the uh, United Kingdom or the kingdom of Kuwait, or something like that. When we think of kingdom, we think of a realm, uh, a place, a piece of real estate. And that's not what the kingdom of God means. Instead, the kingdom of God is not so much a place as it is a condition, or a state of affairs. The kingdom of God is the reign or rule of God, Reign, R-E-I-G-N. It's the reign of God. It's the exercise of God's kingship. It's God's... Here's a good definition that you might want to try to try to take with you. It is God's progressive victory through His Son Jesus over satanic dominion in order to rescue people of all nations from the power of darkness and ultimately to right all wrongs and undo the curse over creation. Did you get that? You wrote that down? (laughs) Let me say it again. The kingdom of God is God's progressive victory over satanic dominion through His Son, Jesus Christ, in order to rescue people of all nations from the power of darkness, ultimately to right all wrongs and undo the curse that has been placed on creation because of the fall of man into sin. That's what God's reign is doing right now, whether you see it or not. Even though the world is filled with problems, God is on His throne exercising His dominion over all things. You know, we pray the Lord's Prayer. And what do we pray in that prayer? We say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. What are we praying there? But we're praying that God's reign or rule over the earth would be more and more manifest, more and more on display. When we say thy kingdom come, we're asking God that his power and might and sovereign authority will be seen and felt and worshipped and adored by more and more people in more and more cities in America and in more and more countries throughout the world. That's what we're praying. Lord, let your kingly reign be more and more made visible among us today. And the kingdom has come in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is yet to come in its fullness one day in the future when Jesus comes back. We're living in the in-between time. And this is what makes life so hard sometimes. Even though God is the King... We're still living in the midst of a lot of sin and a lot of misery. And we're waiting for that day when Jesus comes back to right all wrongs and to undo the curse. We're living in the in-between times. When Christ first came, He punched our enemy, the devil, in the gut and delivered a definitive blow upon His power. But Satan still is active in the world. He's on a long chain, but he is active. And one day when Jesus returns, he will destroy our enemy, the devil, and throw him into the lake of fire forever and ever. We're living in the in-between time.
This is a very well-known illustration, but I think it's very effective. We're living between D-Day and V-E Day. D-Day, the landing at Normandy. A definitive blow was put into the gut of the Nazi war machine so that in some ways you could say that Hitler and Germany were defeated at D-Day, but they were still very, very active. It wasn't until VE Day that the utter defeat and ruin of the German Nazi war machine was seen and felt. We're living between D-Day and VE Day. But make no mistake, the kingdom of God has arrived. It is here. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. He said that in Matthew 28. That's why he says, go therefore and make disciples. Because I am the king. You might know that hymn by Isaac Watts. Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth its successive journeys run. His kingdom stretch from shore to shore till moons shall wax and wane no more. That's where we are today. The kingdom of God advancing and growing from kingdom to kingdom here on earth. All right, so what's all that got to do with generosity? Everything. (laughs) Everything. It's got everything to do with generosity. You remember I said earlier that anxiety is the enemy of, of generosity. Well, the kingdom of God is the energy behind generosity. Once you understand this about the kingdom, it frees you from fear so that you can be generous. The fact that God has given you the kingdom and one day will fully give you the kingdom should free you and me from fear, from anxiety, from the needless accumulation of stuff because our treasure is far greater than anything this world can provide, right? Do you understand how wealthy you are? Because you're a child of the king, you are a member of the family and court of King Jesus. If you've repented of your sins and trust in Jesus today, God has not only saved you from your sins, He's adopted you into His family and you are His son or daughter. That is a present reality and you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. But it's also a future hope because we live in the in-between time. The Bible says the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. You have, says Peter, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So the realities that we anticipate, we long for, we live in the here and the now in light of the kingly reign of God and the future return of Jesus. Your Father loves you, will take care of you. Your King has given you the kingdom. I'm happy to say that I did graduate from college. I didn't quit. And I got my diploma. And shortly after I did graduate, my dad came to me. Um, One thing you need to know about my father is that he was in radio all his life. He owned and operated a radio station in our little town in South Carolina the town's only AM radio station, country and western music all the time. 
1460 on your radio dial. I'll never forget that. And my father said to me this, this day, he said, Mike, I'm, I'm thinking pretty seriously about retiring. And I'd like to know if you would want to take over the station. My father was offering me a lucrative, steady, secure career in radio. All of its assets, all of its customers, all its employees, all its holdings were mine for the taking. Now, in some ways, you might say that those things were already mine because this was my father. And uh, they were all in him, and I was perhaps going to inherit those things eventually one day. But my dad was offering it to me now as something that would secure me and my family for the rest of my life. Well, I turned it down. As you probably guessed, (laughs) I didn't want to be managing a radio station. It didn't appeal to me whatsoever, but I could have done it. My father, out of his sheer good pleasure, because I was his son, because he loved me, wanted to give me everything he'd worked for for 50 years to build. And that's what Jesus is saying to us in this passage. Don't be anxious, little flock. It is your heavenly Father's delight and pleasure. It thrills His heart to give you the kingdom of God. Wow! So what do you do with that? Let's talk about some practicalities. Trust your Father. He'll take care of you. He knows what you need. All things are yours. Don't worry so much. Be content with less. Throw off some of your ballast. You might have stuff in your life that's slowing you down. Take it to goodwill. Give it away. Sell stuff. Get rid of things that are superfluous. Slim down Get on a diet of possessions. Travel light. Have fewer distractions in your life. Be more others-centered instead of self-centered. Find ways to be generous with your money, your time, your know-how, your experience, your maturity, your skills. Stop laying up treasure on earth. Lay up treasure in heaven. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you so much that you love us so much. You sent Jesus to demonstrate that you love us with an undying love. And thank you, Jesus, that you came to bring in the kingdom. And one day you're coming back again and you will usher it in in its completeness with a future hope that we long for. Father, in the in-between time in which we live... Help us be less anxious and more trusting. Help help us remember these things when the hot water heater goes out or the kids are screaming or our friends reject us or our next door neighbor gets a new car. Help us remember that we're your little flock, that you're our father and you're our king. Empower us by your spirit to live free of worry and free to be generous with the many things that you've given to us. 
And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.